Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, We're starting today in part three of what I said would be a three-part discussion regarding the fundamentals or the moving parts of a trust. Well, you might be a little confused because our second part really was so long that we broke it into two pieces. So it it still is a three-part discussion if we were to outline the topic. But the way it works out in episodes is that we'll probably end up with, I'm guessing, five episodes, meaning the first part we covered in one episode. The second part, we made two episodes. And I'm expecting that this being the third part will probably be two episodes. We're breaking it up for your benefit entirely. Um, We could have it just continuously run, but we think it makes more sense to break it up. Uh, Many of you will watch it you know, watch them in succession. So hopefully the way you choose to view parts two and three is that that you look at both episodes at the same time for each of those topics. So the whole idea of a trust is that there are certain fundamental moving parts, and we want you to understand those basics. And, and we talked about trustees, the role of a trustee that runs it, beneficiaries. We talked about some things for you to think about when you're considering who and how should you structure regarding beneficiaries. Um, and then there's the kind of the subject matter of the trust, which is the the stuff. It's called the corpus. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today is what are some of the ideas to keep in mind, some of the rules or considerations for you to think about when you look at your particular types of assets as to whether they should go into the trust immediately, or is this the type of asset that you want to go into the trust when you pass away or some point in between? And there are some rules of thumb for you to keep in mind. And of course, I know as to all these things, you will be sure and talk uh, to your lawyer. Now, before we get into this any further, let me say to you, please, if you derive any benefit from this whatsoever, uh, please hit the like and subscribe button, particularly the subscribe button. That that is far and away what's most important to us. That's what keeps us going doing this show, to be honest with you. Um, You know, as as I've said, as I always say when I come to this topic, this for us is not about making money. We don't make money from this show. You know, we we mentioned Tucker Allen because the the resources we draw on, uh, such as Ben Zinkle, who's here with us again today, they they you know whenever we have attorneys on, usually those attorneys are from Tucker Allen. So yeah, we are proponents of Tucker Allen, but this is not a show to promote Tucker Allen. I mean, we've been around a long time and 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 we we feel that we deliver an important service and and I derive personal satisfaction from doing this show to be honest with you. Uh, but it's all to naught if nobody enjoys it. So at the end of the day, that's the thing about subscriptions is they tell us, you know, do you like it or don't you? So so please if you enjoy this show at all, uh, subscribe. Uh, we have as I just mentioned back with us today Ben Zinkle. And he's uh, he's a, he's an attorney, does nothing but estate planning, et cetera, uh, as all the attorneys do at Tucker Allen. So uh, he's going to help walk us through as we discuss this topic. Today we're talking about the stuff that's in the ass the the assets that are in the trust. That's you know a variety of things, and we'll break them into categories so it makes some sense. Let me first introduce to you though this idea. 
you might think, well, gee, I've created a trust. Why wouldn't I just dump all my stuff in it? I mean, it's a good starting point for discussion. It seems like like if you once you've created this beautiful container, as we often call it, why wouldn't you just dump into it all your assets? And and there is a logical appeal to that. It's just that some of the practical consequences, because of the way the law works and the way tax tax rules work, especially, uh, kind of make it a better idea to wait and have those automatically go in later. So we'll talk about some of the peculiarities of each category of assets, and, and that'll be the what most of this show consists of. But I wanted to introduce here at the threshold of this discussion the fact that, yeah, you do want to think about each type of asset and decide, am I going to put this one in right now once you have your trust in place, or is this something I'm going to wait and have go into the trust automatically later? Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. The other point is that um, I know management is always an issue to people, uh, particularly when they're doing planning later in life. They're thinking, now I want a fallback position for somebody to manage and run this. Um, you know, does this mean that I have to have two sets of rules, et cetera, regarding managing my assets? If, say, that I have a stroke or I have a heart attack or for some reason I, I develop dementia, uh, can I have one person taking care of my assets or do I have to have this trustee that we've told you runs your assets in the trust and then somebody else out here who's supposed to be taking care of the other stuff that you decide to not put in the trust immediately because you listen to this show, for example. So we want you to understand that it doesn't have to be complicated at all. Ben, I think you can probably better explain this than I can. Go ahead. Yes. So when a person sets up a trust, uh, and if they set up a power of attorney and a will, you can choose a trustee and a personal representative. That's for your will, also called an executor, uh, and your power of attorney. The power of attorney will handle your finances, uh, and they have full control over over handling your finances if you if that person is incapacitated. Uh, th- that those three things can be the same person. And in fact, it's a lot easier if they are the same person. Uh, if the, the the will is in place, as we discussed on a previous episode, uh, to kind of catch all of your assets that may not have been in your trust after after you pass away. And if if a person makes their executor the same person as their trustee, then they don't have to, like you just said, they don't have to have two people fighting over what where the assets go and and kind of communicating with each other if it is the same person uh, that person can go to, to go to the same lawyer with with uh, probate if they need to if there are any assets outside of the trust um, and they can they can handle everything uh, as one one cohesive unit uh, which makes things a, a lot easier yeah yeah keep in mind that that worst case scenario is that what if you had some assets that were outside the trust you didn't know about them even, or you failed to provide for them for whatever reason. Uh, the good news is that it's not a catastrophe. You know, that's the reason you have what's called a pour-over will when you do a trust. You know, we since we talk about trust so much as a way to avoid probate, 
the first thing people ask when we mention that, oh, you need to do a pour over well with your trust. The first thing they ask is, well, gee, why do I do a pour over well? I thought I'm doing a trust so I can avoid it. Well, this is the reason that you do a pour over well is that you want to be sure that you capture anything that's stray out there, so to speak, and that and that you get it stuck into your trust. So it ends up in the right place, subject to the right rules, but you don't prefer that it go through probate. So it's not plan A. But the good news is, you know, whatever happens, worst, say, worst case scenario, you know, plan B or plan C, whichever it is, is going to assure that those assets end up where they need to be. Now, what is a more efficient way to do that than for it to be captured by your will? A more efficient way, of course, is a, is a beneficiary designation. And beneficiary designations come in various forms with virtually all these assets we're going to talk about. They virtually all have some form of beneficiary designation. And, and that's where you simply, uh, in, in compliance with the rules that are set with the company, technically a contract, you have a contract with brokerage account, you have a contract with your banks, you have a contract with, with life insurance companies. So whatever those assets are, you know, you want to be sure that whatever company you're dealing with, that you comply with their rules, which are virtually always reasonable. In fact, by law, they virtually have to be. And, and those, those rules will state, okay, you need to fill out this form. It needs to be notarized. You need to sign here. So it, it's kind of a secretarial task to be sure that you've attended, dotted those I's and crossed those T's to assure that stuff, all of it, whatever form it takes, ends up in your trust automatically without probate. So remember, whenever I mention wills, pour over wills, that is because something failed. But the good news is it wasn't a fatal failure, but it was a failure. Because you can, if you do your beneficiary designations, done. It ends up in your trust, just as if, just as if you had put it in there earlier. Your your beneficiaries don't know the difference. And as a practical matter, you shouldn't know the difference because whoever's managing your assets, which can be the same person, then they're going to manage it in a way that you don't feel the difference if it's in the trust or if it's not. Let's say that, for example, you have, we'll talk about 401ks in a minute. Uh, we'll say a 401k account and you decide not to put it in the trust. We'll explain that immediately. So you're thinking, okay, I have a trustee. Now, who's managing this other stuff? And of course, the answer is the person with the durable power of attorney. And that, and as Ben said, it really ideally is the same person. So it's best to have the same person. Don't have to. You could have a different person running each of these these realms or these spheres of, of assets. Uh, most people think, okay, this person that has those attributes that I trust to run my trust, uh, well, Often those are the same attributes that you want for somebody who's doing a durable power of attorney. As we've mentioned before on this show, and won't go far down this road, but it's irresistible for me to just make a real quick distinction, that the durable power of attorney is a wonderful thing. We encourage all of our clients to always have a durable power of attorney, always. Uh, but it's not as structured as a trust, and it doesn't have the rules, and it doesn't have the the specific directions that you would like to give regarding the things with that represent the efforts of a lifetime for you. You know, whether it's large or small, these are the assets that you poured your life into to some extent. And you want to be sure that they're handled properly while you're alive and especially when you're gone. And and trusts are just, you know, for reasons I think should be clear to you at this point, trusts are a robust way of being able to very much customize what you want and to have a certain level of control for generations. Control in a good way. Um, 
the durable power of attorney is essential to avoid somebody having to go to court and get a guardianship, I mean, and a conservatorship, which if you have an automobile accident today on your way home or tomorrow, whenever, and I can tell you within 24 hours, somebody's probably down at the courthouse filing documents to try to get in front of a judge to give someone the authority to run your life, assuming it was a serious accident and you're not competent permanently or for some substantial period of time thereafter. You know, your life doesn't go on automatically. Your loved ones can't just step into your shoes. You know, we don't live in that world anymore. They have to have documents. They have to have some evidence of either co-ownership, which is not a good idea, or, or authority from a court that says they get to sign stuff for you and to take care of things for you. You need that. So durable power of attorney is essential. Um, so trustee, durable, uh, the, the person with, that holds the durable power of attorney is called uh, the attorney in fact. I know it's a funny name. It sounds like with, with the name attorney in fact, you always think that it, that's got to mean in fact an attorney. Well, oddly enough, it means in fact not an attorney, but somebody who can act as an attorney. I don't like to use that phrase because it confuses clients. But anyway, it's called attorney in fact, and that's a person who's not an attorney that that is the person representing you under a durable power of attorney. So you have attorney in fact and you have a trustee. So now that you're clear that you can have the same person running all these assets, whether they go in immediately or later, now let's talk about these categories of assets and kind of in, introduce some of the considerations that our viewers or listeners should have in mind when they start thinking about how to plan for the balance of their life and thereafter. Uh, I didn't, you know, I, I created these categories. I don't I don't have them in alphabetical order uh, or even in order of, of importance, but I don't think that matters. Uh, I wanted to hit the key areas, so we do cover those. And let's just start with real estate. Ben, any thoughts about real estate going into the trust immediately versus later? So you have two options, or if, if a person makes a trust, they have two options of of when to put their real estate into their trust. Uh, like you said, they can do it immediately. This is via a warranty deed or a quit claim deed, uh, which just retitles that person's house into the name of their trust. Uh, the other option is a beneficiary deed. If a person chooses this option, what that does is that it's a transfer on death designation. And what that means is that after they pass away, uh, that deed will then be transferred into the trust and then their house will be in the name of the trust. And then their trustee can then go and, and um, handle the real estate however, however they want. As far as benefits of both, we recommend at Tucker Allen, we recommend beneficiary deeds just because that gives a, a client or whomever made the trust, that gives them uh, all of the control of that property while they're still alive. They don't have to worry about uh, retitling. They just have to worry about getting that deed done. Um, if, the, the, if, if you do do a warranty deed or if a person does do a warranty deed and it goes into their trust, if for whatever reason, say they refinance their home uh, or they get it, get it reappraised or something and it technically generates income, then they'd have to go and fill out another tax form for that income that it generated. Uh, for property taxes, you'd have, you have to fill out a separate tax form as well. So there are just kind of administrative things that are that are kind of a hassle with a warranty deed versus a beneficiary deed. Beneficiary deed really gives you all of that control, whereas warranty deed does not. Um, 
But there are reasons to do a warranty deed. The biggest one is privacy. We do get clients coming to us saying, I just bought a house and I don't want people to know where I live. If I set up a trust and title it in the name of the trust, I want that kind of extra layer of privacy uh, that says the trust owns my house. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, and, you, and, and, and they can do that. They can get that warranty deed and have it in their trust immediately. Uh, but those are the two kind of the two ways to retitle your home um, if a person is interested in uh, making a trust and titling their real estate to the trust. Yeah, and to and to flesh that out a little bit regarding uh, this beneficiary deed, you you should know that it doesn't go through probate. I mean, you may think, well, gee, if it's a beneficiary deed and it takes effect when I die, does that mean it's going to be subject to this, you know, this pour over will? And the answer is no. Um, it goes immediately, immediately into your trust. I mean, the moment you pass away. You know, theoretically, that second, it's suddenly owned by the trust. So there's no court involved. It happens automatically. So beneficiary deeds are are pretty attractive. And, you know, you brought up a good point, Ben, about about the confidentiality that's afforded by trust. That's one of the actually important moving considerations that people have about their assets is with a trust, you can name the trust anything. So it doesn't have to have it doesn't have to be like it, your name being John Doe, the John Doe Trust. Instead, it can be any type of trust, meaning any name of trust. So so don't don't be concerned about the fact that if you have a trust, you lose confidentiality because it's still identifiable as you. It it doesn't have to be if if privacy is important to you. Another thing that I want to mention is depending on the type of trust you have. It, it probably, and most of the trusts we're talking about are not going to trigger a tax consequence just because we want it to be a grantor trust or a revocable trust, as it might be called. So that the revocable trust has the advantage of, of being a trust that is a completely identical entity from the IRS's standpoint. So you don't have to worry about a tax consequence if you transfer it. Now, you do have a tax consequence regarding some of these assets that we're going to talk about. And, and you know, those are things that relate to tax deferred. So those can be triggered, uh, but it's really triggered by the fact that you moved it to a separate entity. Uh, but but I don't want you to think, though, that, that you otherwise would have tax consequences by having this revocable trust. It, as Ben said, it's really just administrative stuff that you have to fool with. So that that's the, that's kind of the focus of your attention. Another thing to think about is, and, and there's another reason that that usually we wait to put the real estate directly into before we put the real estate directly into the trust is the financing that you have on it. Most financing has what's called a due on sale clause, and or it's sometimes called a, an acceleration clause. An acceleration clause means that the entire balance becomes due immediately if certain events happen. Let's say, for example, you get four months behind on your mortgage or five months. There, there's probably a provision something to the effect at at some level of arrearage where they can accelerate and just say look we you know this is a hassle we're not we don't want to be hostage to a situation for the next 30 years where we're continually having to take somebody to court because they're late every month um, you know no no lender wants that so they have the ability when you get so far behind to go ahead and say look we're going to force a foreclosure what they're really doing is is they're creating a situation where the entire balance is immediately due. That's what the acceleration clause accelerating the date at which each of the payments or the total amount would be due. And it's due now. 
So the reason that always, virtually always results in a foreclosure is these people never have money. That's the reason they're in this position. So they can't turn around and write a check. So when you when this acceleration clause is triggered, it's a problem. And so you don't want to do anything that automatically triggers it. Well, one of the things that triggers it, and put yourself in the shoes of a lender, uh, what if you lend money to somebody? Do you want them to be able to transfer that house freely uh, to other people? And you may say, well, you might first think, well, I don't, I'm not too worried about that as long as that person that I sold it to continues to be liable. Yeah, but maybe you didn't lend it so much on the fact that this person you know is an honest person, but you lent it in large part because you knew the asset had value. So really, you were lending more about the, the asset than you were the person. Well, the asset's now in the hands of somebody that you may or may not know, and who knows, maybe soon it'll be in the hands of somebody else. So if you think about it for a minute, you can see why typically it, it, virtually all loan documents have a provision that if the property is transferred, then the, the, the loan is due immediately. The acceleration clause is triggered. So um, we don't want that to happen when people are placing their assets into a trust. You may say, well, trust is not another person. Well, it's not, but in a way it is, meaning that um, according to the definitions of Missouri, it is a person. Even if it's revocable, it's a person. Um, so in order to to avoid that happening with our clients and having our clients mad at us, or I don't practice this area anymore, but but with, with Tucker Allen or any other estate planner, if if they you know if they want to be careful about having their clients avoid a crisis, then often what they'll do is one of two things. They'll either do the beneficiary clause that Ben just mentioned. That's easy way to do it. And you may say, well, why not? Uh, it's I don't I don't feel anything different in terms of living in the property. It's all the same, and I have the same level of protection. When I pass away, it ends up in the trust, and that's true. So um, it often makes sense to simply do it that way. Another way, though, is if somebody really wants it to go into the trust, they want everything in this single neat container, which all things being equal. I'd say put everything in the trust, except for these things, reasons we're talking about that you don't. I mean, your presumption would be put everything in the trust unless there's a reason not to. And so that's kind of that should be your operating presumption. Uh, but for these assets we're talking about today, there are reasons that you might think, okay, this one I'm not going to put in there now. So if you are determined to go ahead and put the asset in there now, uh, then you, there are a couple ways to do that. Um, you can either pay off an existing loan, which usually people don't want to do that, or a better still, you don't have a loan, so you don't have to worry about it. All the things I just said don't matter. So you can go ahead and create a deed. Your you know, your lawyer can prepare a deed, transferring it into the trust. Very simple. You know, It doesn't cost anything significant. It probably costs you nothing if you're doing your trust as a package, which Tucker Allen does it that way. Um, another possibility is to go to the lender and to get permission from the lender. I didn't think that lenders generally would be real cooperative in this way. So I had somebody recently who I know went, I was skeptical. Uh, so I thought it probably made more sense to either do a uh, beneficiary clause or to go ahead and transfer it and hope that it, you know, it's ignored. Meaning if it, if it, if it were discovered in the, in the example I'm giving you, it wasn't going to be of great consequence to the person uh, that I was talking to, um, or I wouldn't have ad advised it. But but sometimes, you know, lenders just ignore it. I'll just tell you it's a practical matter. Uh, even though they technically have rights in a contract, it either doesn't come to their attention or they ignore it. 
and you know they appreciate having the loan. So you know your loan rate would probably be a significant factor if you had a rate that's way below market. If you have one of those three point five percent rates, then then you don't want to do anything that gives your your lender an opportunity to bail. Uh, but uh, but in this case, you know I thought well there there is a reason that the lender uh, would not want to cooperate. Um, given market conditions. Uh, but this person went to the lender and they got the permission they needed. The lender saw that it was a trust. There's no practical reason for a lender to say no. Unless they just want out of the deal, uh, there's no reason for them to say no when you're talking about transfer to the trust. Despite what everything I said about why, if you're a lender, you'd want a provision in there if somebody transfers to another person. But but you'd also, if, if we were to explain to you in this example, you being the lender, oh, but this in this case is a, is a revocable trust, then then you'd say, oh, well, then of course it's the same thing. I have the same person liable in, in practical terms, the same person owns it. So you don't really care. So often lenders will okay it. So I don't want you to think that that if if you really want to put your property in into the trust, that, that that's probably going to be a no-go. Um, you know, I don't know what percentages are to expect. I'd say a 50-50 chance or better that your lender will okay it because there's absolutely no reason for them not to unless they just want out of the loan. Uh, they want their money back because the interest rate or something. So lenders are fully protected when, when, they, when it's transferred into the trust. If you, if you owed the money before, you owe it now. And it still is in a revocable trust, so you've not transferred it to a stranger. So I hope that's clear. So those are things to think about when you're trying to decide with real estate. Uh, but it, it's like Ben said. Ben deals with this day in and day out. I think you're, you were saying many clients think it's simpler just to do a beneficiary deed. The beneficiary deed doesn't lock you down at all. If you decide you want to change your beneficiary deed, you still have complete power over it. It's not a transfer. It's just a beneficiary designation is really all it is. It's like putting somebody's name on life insurance. So if you, it's not as if, if you put somebody's name on life insurance, you say, oh my gosh, you know, I hope that I continue to think this was a good decision because I can never undo it. You know that you can go back and perhaps you have gone back and changed your beneficiary designations. Well, the same thing with the beneficiary deed. It's just a deed that's filed at the courthouse. You file a new one. And, and whatever the, the new one is, it's going to override, supplant whatever the, the previous grant was. Um, so you still have complete control over this beneficiary provision. It is not a transfer to another person. And whatever you do, do not consider transferring ownership. Do you want to make a comment about that, Ben? How many times have we heard people say, I want to do some cheap estate planning. I want to add people's names to my assets. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, we see this with uh, checking accounts and bank accounts. Uh, people will come in and say, oh, I'll just add my daughter or my son or, or relative or, or friend to this account, and then that way when I pass away, it's just theirs. Uh, that is fine I, if you have, you know, maybe one person in your ever in your entire life, but if anybody else uh, comes in or, or thinks that they have any kind of uh, right to, to your assets after you pass away, um, you have no control over them after after you pass away. If that if the per, if you only have one person designated over your checking account or your house or anything like that. And one thing that that um, people commonly forget is that when you create a co-owner of any sort of asset that person has problems in their lives. So it's not just the issue of, is does this person have integrity? Let's assume you're right about that. But incidentally, there's a chance you're not, but let's assume you are. So we take that concern off the table. Do we have anything else to worry about? 
And and it's really the other stuff, to be honest with you, that I'm am more concerned about when I talk to friends, family, and 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 clients, as the case may be, would be that not that their judgment is wrong about trust. Um, it is often wrong, but more often than that, is that somebody in their circle, in their orbit of life, whether it's a bankruptcy, whether it's their spouse suing for divorce, whether it's an automobile accident by their child or by them, there are so many risks that that hover around us in the modern world that the moment you add somebody's name to an asset, then you've invited into your portfolio these other behaviors and these other risks that have no place there. They would not normally be there. Your portfolio would be immune to those risks of other people, right? But the moment you open that door and say, I'm going to put them on my asset as a co-owner, then you've just invited them into the room. And so now you're living with not only the risks you had before, but now this this world of, of possibilities that that you know you you just cannot sleep well at night. And remember, one of your objectives in good estate planning is you should be able to sleep well at night. You should have some sense of security, and there's no security in putting co-owners' names on on assets. So uh, now that we've kind of introduced, you know, we talked. I think we've talked enough about real estate. Do you think? Well, I think we've introduced you to the main to the key concerns when you think about what will I do with my real estate. We could have talked about a lot more, but in the, in the interest of time, we'll go on to the next category. Uh, stocks and bonds. Do you want to take that one, Ben? Sure. So two things here. If you have, I'll start with bonds. Uh, savings bonds are a little, little more difficult than just putting on a transfer on death designation. Typically what you do with a savings bond is that, uh, if a person has them, they would transfer them into the trust immediately. There's no tax consequences to do this. Uh, savings bonds now... I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they have to, they, they're electronic, um, and you have to have the electronic and the paper copy now. I think that's changing. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, but there, there are some administrative things with savings bonds that if you talk with, uh, with, with where the, your, your lending facility or, or where you receive these bonds, they can help you transfer them into your trust. Uh, like I said there, that there's no tax consequences there. Um, stocks are a little different. Stocks, they... Uh, you typically you have what's called a beneficiary form. Uh, if if somebody has stocks, they can get this beneficiary form, and it's a it's a change form, and, and they can put the name of the trust on that form itself. Uh, this is the same idea as a transfer on death designation. Uh, the beneficiary designation just says that if this person passes away, the interest in the company the, of the stocks they own will be transferred to the beneficiary, that being the trust, uh, after they pass away. Yeah, yeah, it's called non-probate transfers. So for securities, uh, assuming they're not tax-deferred, you can put the name of the trust in there, or again, you could do a beneficiary designation, uh, either one. uh, But you don't have the obstacles that you do, for example, we just talked about with real estate. Often those are not an issue if you have these assets outside of 401k or IRA or some some form of tax-deferred asset. Um, so that, that one will say the general rule is to go ahead and, and think about putting it in the trust. Um, let's talk about personality. Personal, I'm sorry, personality, I use a phrase that, that's a legal term. 
Uh, personally just means your your stuff that's not real estate, your personal property, in other words. So that stuff generally doesn't have a title to it. Uh, now, we've talked about before that if something, if it's personality and it has a title, then there's a, I'll just hand this to you, Ben, let you talk about that process. And, and then we'll talk about those things that don't have any title at all, which is most of your stuff, right? Your furnishings, um, uh, equipment related to your career, whatever it might be. Do you want to take this on? Sure. Uh, I will start with just your personal property. Uh, if a person does set up a trust with Tucker Allen, what we do is after after they sign the trust, they also sign something called the Assignment of Personal Property. And what that document says, it basically just says everything that this person owns, uh, the, you know, the, everything in their house, all the furniture, things like that, all the, uh, the keepsakes, all your personal property, uh, everything that that person owns will be designated into the trust uh, so that after they pass away, if people are fighting over, you know, oh, you know, d- does this personal pr- piece of personal property, will that fall out of probate? That assignment of personal property just says, no, everything is assigned to the trust. Uh, as far as specific uh gifts, essentially, of personal property. So you have collectibles, wedding rings, that sort of thing. The, you have two options, or a person has two options there. They can either designate specific gifts in the trust document itself, uh, or they can, the, what, at Tucker Allen, what we do is that we give that uh, anybody who makes a trust with us a, a personal property memorandum. And all that is is that you, that, that person can handwrite any kind of gifts they want, say I want to give my wedding ring to this person, sign and date at the bottom, uh, and that, that you know, multiple pages, you know, as, as many as you want. But what that does is it gives you more freedom and control over your personal property, and it allows you to change it at no extra cost to you. If you if that person does put uh, specific gifts in their trust document, they'd have to come back and go to a lawyer, preferably Tucker Allen again, uh, and have and and pay money to change that trust document. Um, with that uh, that personal property memorandum, that gives the, the person making the trust a lot more freedom and more control and saves them a little bit of money as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just a uh, generic transfer. It's better to do it that way. And then, uh, and then you have some things for which there are titles, such as your automobile. And those you generally do through Jefferson City, right? So typically with... Uh, automobiles now is that is we recommend a transfer on death designation on that as well. All you have to do with that is to go down to the DMV. It's a $12 charge, I believe, to get that, just put that on your title. Um, as far as retitling current vehicles or titling new vehicles, if a person buys a new vehicle, uh, we don't recommend that either uh, just because they're, for the one simple reason is that you have to go uh, if every time you pay personal property tax, you have to go down and get a personal property tax waiver uh, at whatever county you, you live in, and that's just an extra hassle, whereas the transfer on death designation does the same thing, and you don't have to worry about that when it comes to paying personal property tax. Okay, so I hope you got that. Um, you can go ahead and put your car into into the trust. Now, if there's a loan outstanding on it, you may still have to clear the issue we talked about with real estate. So if you have a $80,000 car and a $50,000 loan on it, then it's definitely a consideration. Uh, I'm going to assume many of you probably don't have that amount of debt on your car. As a matter of fact, uh, if you're this age demo, us, me, and you, uh, most of us don't have debt on our cars. 
So if that's the case, you can, just so you're clear, you can go ahead and put your, your car in your trust if you want. But as Ben pointed out, it, it can mean a hassle, depending on how often do you get new cars. I mean, if you get new cars every two or three years, as Ben was su suggesting, it is a little bit of a hassle because you do have to reflect the trust ownership and uh, you have to deal with the DMV. Now, I, I, the, the simpler solution, as we wrap this topic up, the simpler solution, I think, for the car for most people is going to be simply to have a beneficiary designation. Much easier than if you tr you don't deal with lenders, no issue with lender approving a transfer, and you, you're not having to re-register the title uh, with the Secretary of State or doing a second form regarding each transfer. Let's stop right here. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're doing this topic regarding trust assets in two episodes. So we'll conclude the first episode now. We'll take a break and then we'll come back and do the second episode. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.